Get ready because this is one of my favorite topics of all time. Consider this episode a mini crash course in birth, discussing things like what triggers labor to begin and how it all starts, what exactly is happening inside your body with your important labor hormones, and how we can use this understanding to biohack your birth experience to support positive outcomes. We discuss the types of things that can cause birth to stall out, why contractions hurt and how to reduce that pain, and then the incredible things that happen inside your baby's body when they take that first breath. Thank you for being here. Now let's dive in. Welcome to Healthy as a Mother, the podcast for becoming and being a mother with your co-hosts, Dr. Leah Gordon and Dr. Morgan McDermott, two naturopathic doctors who get it. Each week, we teach you how to be the healthiest mother you can be, from fertility and preconception to pregnancy and birth prep, through postpartum and throughout motherhood, empowering you with the natural health guidance and education you're not getting elsewhere so you can confidently navigate the broken system at large. The real, the raw, the untalked about. Let's talk about physiological birth. You are an expert in this. So tell us what that means. Even just the word physiological might be a little like, what are you talking about? So break it down. Okay. So there is a bit of a controversy with the word natural in birth. So Mm -hmm. there, the newer term to discuss the idea of birth in the physiological, biological way that it would happen in nature without human intervention of any kind, what we talk about when we're saying physiological birth, Okay. because some people get upset when the idea of a natural birth, but maybe there was some medications for pain or something. And it's, but then it still ends up vaginally. Is that a natural birth? Or what about a C-section? Is that birth is all still natural? Mom made the baby, et cetera, et cetera. So that word is gold. So physiological birth, what we're talking about is the actual process in a, if you were reading a textbook about the human species, as if it was an animal, you're reading the encyclopedia to humans. What, how does a human give birth? And that process is best supported in certain ways that we know, given what we observe throughout other animal births as well. We all do the same things. So mammals, what that means is that we have mammary glands. We feed our babies milk from our mammary glands and we give live birth for the most part, except mm-hmm. for platypus. <laughs> platypus is the only animal you that, would know that gives birth. Dr. Morgan knows a lot about animals. <laughs> I once was going to be a vet. So then I changed my mind partially thanks to you, honestly. So yeah, then we wouldn't be able to talk about this. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm so happy that I'm not just talking about dog birth now, <laughs> although dogs are great, but anyways, so a platypus lays eggs, which is really wild. They're, weird. they're wi- weird in lots of ways, but anyways, so what happens in our brain, this is one of the beautiful things about birth is we don't really know what mm. triggers the onset of labor. What we think our best guess is that there is a compound that is released from the fetus, from the fetal lungs mm. that go through the bloodstream and indicate to the mom's brain, I'm ready. Mm. I'm ready to be born. My lungs are ready. But now we know that women go into preterm labor all the time and the fetus fetal lungs are not ready. So there are other factors, of course, but in a full-term healthy sense, what, what is the trigger to labor is probably multifactorial. I love personally that we don't have a pinpointed idea of what it is. Mm-hmm. think that it's magical, yeah. that idea. So oxytocin begins to be released from our pituitary glands in our brains. Oxytocin is that love hormone, the cuddle hormone. It's the hormone that's released when you have an orgasm. It's the hormone that causes the milk ejection reflex, which is, or sometimes called letdown, which is what causes the milk to be squeezed out of our breasts through our nipple. Mm. So when a baby latches, this is kind of like a cool aside. Some people don't really realize this, that it's not like there's just a tons of milk that's coming into their mouth immediately. There's a little bit that they're pulling and sucking, but they have to wait. Maybe it's 30 seconds. Maybe it's a minute 
for the milk ejection reflex, which is that mm. stimulation of the nipple goes up to the brain. The oxytocin is released. It comes back down into the bloodstream. There's all these oxytocin receptors all over the, in the breast. Mm. And then they squeeze and they literally eject the milk into the baby's mouth. Wow. Isn't that cool? Wow. Yeah. So similarly, oxytocin has many roles in our, yeah reproductive health in general and our good feelings like with orgasm. Yeah. I was going to say it's an important orgasming with some nipples. Exactly. It's a good time. It's probably oxytocin. Oh yeah. More. Oh yeah. Oh, because, okay. This is interesting. That's interesting. You say that the more we, the more births we have and the more babies we breastfeed your oxytocin receptors are more primed. Mm -hmm. And this is why births can be faster. This is why our milk comes in faster after we've had other babies, because you have these oxytocin receptors that have now been expressed onto the cell surfaces all over in these different organs and they're ready and they're ready to go. That's so interesting. We'll talk about that later in our postpartum sex episode. (laughs) Yeah. On the lookout. Okay. But so anyways, the oxytocin is released by your brain. It goes down to the uterus. It begins uterine contractions. The first part of birth, the entire first part of the, what is happening is the uterus is contracting and the way that the muscles are shaped on the uterus Mm -hmm. is they go around in concentric circles this way. So every time it squeezes, it's slowly starting to pull up on the cervix, which is the chunk between the vaginal canal and the top of the uterus. Mm -hmm. It's like the end of a balloon. It's like the tip of a funnel. That's Mm -hmm. a really good way to think about it. It's like that skinny part of the funnel. And so as if you imagine the funnel squeezing around itself, it would slowly start to make the tip of it bigger Mm -hmm. and it pulls it up and around so that the baby's head can pass through. And that's That's the the, dilation. That's the the dilation of the cervix. That's effacement is the term for when that cervix is just getting thinner which we need contractions for that as well. Mm-hmm. Getting thinner because we want it nice and long in pregnancy to keep the baby in and keep it mm-hmm. safe. Mm-hmm. Sometimes when women have an issue with a short cervix, they'll maybe have to, that can be a cause of early loss unintentionally, mm-hmm. but they'll maybe sometimes put a suture inside of it and cl- hold it, help hold it closed. Mm-hmm. When it's time for labor, they can re- release that suture. But anyway, so there's effacement and there's dilation. Dilation is when it's getting bigger. We need to be about 10 centimeters for the baby to be able to be born. Gotcha. So the whole point of contractions is to dilate the cervix and get the baby down lower as well. As it's going open to open, it's squeezing the baby. The baby is very active and mom is also up and moving ideally so that she can be helping to open her pelvis, the pelvic inlet, the pelvic outlet. Where is the baby? Where are the pelvic bones and the sacrum moving so that they can navigate the tailbone, the pubic bone. They have to move through a lot. Mm-hmm. And now the baby's not necessarily consciously going, oh, okay, move left. Move. They're not doing it. It's right. instinctual though. They do follow this pattern, which is called the cardinal movements. And you can look this up on graphics on Google or something. It's super interesting because typically babies follow the same rotation. It's like, mm-hmm. how do we know to do that? It's yeah. one of our main reflexes. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, how would we even be here and be alive and be able to give birth? We don't, mm-hmm. so these are things that have adapted over time. So part of that though, goes along with this idea that the woman is upright and is moving so that this all can work physiologically, meaning working with the body in the way that the body is supposed to work. So maybe a little more challenging when a woman is put on a hospital bed and laid down yes. because the pelvis isn't able to move and it makes it harder for that physiological process Process. to happen. Just like it would be harder to poop lying down. Exactly. If you were to be told you were flat on your back and you were numbed, 
and you were told to poop, it would be really tough. Or even if you weren't numbed and everyone was just watching watching you you poop and you were like, you were in a time crunch. Yes. You better poop right now. Exactly. Get this poop out. You know, what's so interesting is that because we have these prefrontal cortexes, meaning our super smart human brain, and it can really get in the way. It's honestly our biggest organ of like defeat in a labor sense. Mm -hmm. So there's this term for when a labor gets stuck from something and that typically it's called a or the more common one is called a shoulder dystocia, which is D-Y-S-T-O-C-I-A. Dystocia meaning like stuck or impeding or something that's stopping it. And so a shoulder dystocia is that when the baby is coming out, their shoulder is usually hooked up underneath the pubic bone and it's having a hard time and the baby can get stuck and need some assistance or some different positional changes to release that shoulder and continue their rotation, one of those cardinal movements to get out. Now, I think of the way that our human brains are and our anxieties and our worries as being a dystocia in birth because it can make us stuck. Interesting. It can stuck us (laughs) and we need to unstuck you. Yeah. Oh my God. That's a, yes. So sometimes being freaked out by an authority figure telling you you're not Mm -hmm. progressing fast enough or your baby is in trouble or something can be a dystocia. Having somebody in the room who you don't like that much, or you feel like maybe certain friend or a family member that kind of arm wrestled their way into the room and you don't want them there. You don't want them to see you naked. Exactly. If you don't want if you should only have it. I know Gaskin says this. You should only have people in the room with you in your labor that you would feel comfortable pooping in front of or having sex in front of, because it's the same hormones that, and now it's not the same hormones with pooping, but we're just saying that comfortability, but, but with sex specifically, the same hormones that get the baby in Mm -hmm. that oxytocin, all those energy loops and hormonal loops are the same hormones that get the baby out. And they are hormones and they are physiological processes that can be impeded by our beautiful, intelligent nervous systems. If we are in the middle of birth and we see a tiger coming at us, our bodies can stop the process of labor. Our sympathetic nervous system turns on and we run away and to go to safety. It's a beautiful process that is adapted to keep us safe. But when we are now modern humans living in this day and age, and we are experiencing stress of any form in the process of birth, our brains are still activating those systems. If there's a tiger coming, danger, close the process back up stop the contractions, get into my cognitive brain so I can think and survive and not drop down into that different mental brainwave state that birth is Mm -hmm. and allow all these physiological processes to happen. Sarah Buckley is an Australian OBGYN that has a really amazing book about this whole thing that she breaks down every single hormone and chemical in a really easy to understand way. I highly recommend it. forget what the book is actually called, but if you Google have that, she's great. I don't remember it either. Sorry. We'll put it in the show notes. No. Yes. So when you're wanting to keep your brain out of this, the ways to do that are to be, feel supported, not have anything that's interrupting you, which can be really tricky in a hospital setting. It can be interrupted in a hospital, in a home birth setting too. You need to have Mm -hmm. the people around you be competent, understanding of this process, have reverence for the birth, et cetera. I feel like midwives do typically manage this better because they are of that mindset birth is a natural physiological process and that it's not a medical event that needs to be micromanaged by medications and surgery. And again, this is not to harp on any one particular OB or L and D nurse or anything. This is a systemic problem. It's a paradigm shift. Once you've had it, you can't go back. Once you've seen the way that this is this beautiful process that has been robbed of so many women, you cannot go back. 
and you just want to sit and scream on the rooftops about how it can be different. Like we all- And the other thing I want to put to that, I know you're doing your list, yeah. but this is something I've seen with patients of if the woman is more of the go-to authority in the relationship to mm-hmm. remind and teach and prepare their partner to hold more of that space during birth. Yes. If what do you, if everyone's going to her for the answers or she's the one that controls or she's the one that's dictating, yep. it will put her back in her monkey mind and potentially either if it's a partner or a friend or a doula who she feels comfortable releasing that surrender to so that someone else can maybe have the conversations with the nurses or somebody else can be mindful of the child, the other baby, like maybe it's a second baby or who's making me food. Like if a woman's more of that type A, I'm in control, I'm the authority in the relationship, having someone else take over that, because I think it pulls women back into that mindset. A hundred percent. It's so good that you said that too. You cannot, you can be really knowledgeable about birth and you should be, you cannot be your own doula. Yeah. You will be drugged. Your brain drugs you. This Mm -hmm. is part of the process. Endorphins flood your brain at an incredible rate. Women say they've never been higher in their life. If maybe they've been high on other things than when they are in giving birth or post-birth that like post-oxytocin kind of rush that some women feel sometimes they don't. Mm-hmm. I didn't. Did you? I don't remember my first 32 hours of labor. That was she- when she came out, when she was born, did you I have mean, a, well, maybe she, with a I had less, I don't so know. many medications in my system. Yeah, I knows? felt like a psychopath, but <laughs> what I will tell you is, you know, how sensitive I am. Yes. I hadn't eaten in almost two days. I hadn't drank hardly anything. I'd thrown up a ton. I had just had a slew of opioids and medications normally would just destroy my system. And I was like very quite happy. So that's the actress. And so I'm like, I could, I feel I, at the moment and at the time I kept reflecting saying, I cannot believe that I'm okay right now. Yeah. Like strength of your body. Yes. You guys, we are superhumans. We go into a superhuman state to do this because we are bringing new life (laughs) from nothing into being. And yes, this baby has been just sitting in your body, but it is huge. This is such a big deal. And it's so beautiful and so special. And I wish that there was just more, that is the coolest thing. Instead of this tenant of, oh my God, I can't wait to, I don't know, birth is horrible. Birth is scary. I don't want to feel it. I don't want to ever be a part of it. Because I think people are not giving themselves enough credit of how strong you are, how strong you will feel, how you will get through it. It's a finite end. It's not the rest of your life feeling. I've had that experience of the end, very long labor, and it is tough, but it does end. And then you're like, holy crap, I did this thing. But okay, anyway, let's just go back to the idea of the physiological birth. Our our uterus is contracting. The baby is moving down. We're moving oxytocin. It's a positive feedback loop, which means that it's almost like building and building. It's getting stronger. The more oxytocin, the more the contractions. And then they get into this very amazing, amazing to witness rhythm that is clockwork. It's so Mm -hmm. weird. And they last right about a minute, sometimes a little less, sometimes a little longer, but if you're clocking it, it's so strange. It'll be like, Oh, her contractions right now are every three minutes and 20 seconds. Wow. It's still, it's so weird. It's so cool. Mm -hmm. And it it does this and it builds and builds the uterus is starting or the cervix is getting bigger and bigger. The baby is moving down lower in the pelvis. This is another piece that needs to happen as well. It's not just that the cervix is dilating babies floating high that can happen, but we need to wait. And the Mm -hmm. uterus will push the baby down as well. So it's starting to build up what, and what's happening with the muscle fibers, which is so cool is that they're all starting to like come up to the top. It's like thicker, the fundus. Yes. The fundus of the top of the uterus becomes thickened 
and mm-hmm. stronger so that when it comes time to push the baby out, it has this power and strength at the top that it just crushes that baby down. Wow. So you don't, it's called the fetal ejection reflex. Women who have been in comas will birth a baby. Wow. The body does this. This is what we mean by physiological. Like we don't have to think about telling our food to digest and do these different things. It's a process that is happening where birth is different in some ways, but not really, because if you eat a meal and then you get super stressed out, we know about when people are eating a meal in front of the TV or they're working at their computer, they're not digesting their food properly because they are used. Their brain is not, they're not in rest and digest. They're intercepting that, that nervous system part that does the physiological process. Exactly. Same thing happens with digesting, pooping and birthing and sex. And sex. this is all of this. Oh, yes. this, all oh, of this. oh boy. That. It's all the same. <laughs> the, po- the parasympathetic nervous system rules this process, which is the rest of the digest, the sex, the whatever there is, there's both. It's never like your nervous system is hundred percent one or the other. There's an mm-hmm. interplay, but we know that we can interrupt our other physiological processes by being in a different mental state. This is our biggest problem out honestly, as humans mm-hmm. is our connection to our mind and our body and getting away from that. Mm. Animals have this too. Farmers know this, you guys. Yeah. When a cow is out in the pasture and is going into labor, they do not bother it because they know that if they do, the baby is more likely to get stuck. Mm. Baby dies, mom dies, maybe both, who knows? Mom is more likely to not nurse it immediately and give the baby the colostrum. Mm. If you're a farmer and you're in here, you're motivated by caring and empathy, of course, as well, but money this becomes a very big deal. We don't want the loss of calves. So they are really motivated and you'll see them holding the space for this cow and not allowing other parts of the herd to get close to her or no tractors are driving by or whatever, because they know that this process gets interrupted. And yet we, as humans act like we don't have any similarities that we put ourselves in these positions. And yeah, sometimes it totally works out. And this is the thing I think that's keeping this going is that it does work out for some people, Yeah, but it's often very medicated in some form. There's either augmentation of the labor with synthetic oxytocin called Pitocin, or there's the pain medication through an epidural or nitrous oxide or whatever the different there's layers of pain medication. Mm -hmm. It's an epidural. 71% of births in this country are with an epidural. Wow. And that's because we're not allowed. It's so excruciatingly more painful to be in our mental human brain than when we have dropped down into our reptilian brain, we're in that different brainwave state and we can get into our flow and rock and roll through these contractions. It's read Bradley Reed Dick because I always mix up his his three first names. Yeah. (laughs) Birth without fear. He talks about the pain, the fear tension pain cycle. When we are fearful, we tense up and pain is worse. A Charlie horse hurts because the muscle is squeezing so hard. It becomes Mm -hmm. hypoxic. Hypoxic means there's no oxygen and our bodies don't want there to not be oxygen somewhere. And so they send off pain signals to be like, Whoa, we Mm -hmm. need to fix this because Mm -hmm. otherwise the tissue will die and necrose. It's our body's way of telling us something's very wrong. The pain in birth is not quite like that because it's a functional pain. It's not a, you're going to die pain. Although sometimes it can feel like that, but it is different. It's not a broken bone pain. It's not that kind of thing. It's not sending those same signals to your brain. And we can make birth less painful when we are relaxed. We are using our breath because that the uterus is the strongest muscle in our body. Yeah. And when it's squeezing, it is becoming slightly hypoxic. There is that pain. That is why there's all these other pressures that are going on as well. But if we can be using our breath, relaxing as much as possible and not contributing to this pain tension 
fear, tension, pain cycle, it will overall, our experience will be less. This is why when you have women that are saying that they didn't experience birth as painful, Mm -hmm. they experience it as intense and pressure, or there are women who have had orgasms during birth, or there are women who just are, for whatever reason, they got into this sort of state of more sort of control. I don't want to say control because they weren't controlling the experience, but they maybe had more mental control over not getting freaked out and overusing their brain. Like how Wilson could control their anxiety by meditating. Yes, exactly. Perfect. Perfect. Mm -hmm. They biohacked their own body to relax and work with these systems that we know are the case. So I just love that because I think that it's, we have that power. I, that was my goal with my third birth was like, I wanted to just experience or give it my best all <laughs> to try to relax during each mm-hmm. contraction. Like I got there in, in so much, I was, it was such an enjoyable process. I really had such a good time during her birth and I did do it for several contractions where I was completely, re- it wasn't the whole time, but I was completely relaxed. And I was just feeling the power of my body mm-hmm. and oming through it and taking deep breaths. And it was like, it was so different. It wasn't pain. It was more intense pressure. Yeah. So there's that. Okay. So now back to physiological birth, you're 10 centimeters. The baby is very low. The baby is rotating and moving and doing all of these things. The fundus, the top of the uterus is very thick and is starting to push the baby down. Now, just like when you're pooping, you can just sit on the toilet and you get that feeling. Oh, I got to go poop. You go sit on the toilet. You can just sit on the toilet and breathe and the poop is going to come out. Maybe people don't know that, but when we do rebel training, it's yes. just every morning you go drink some lemon water, sit on the toilet and just relax. And eventually the body will start to learn. It can just relax and have a bowel movement and have a bowel movement. Right. Especially if you're starting to feel that, like when you are like, Oh, I need to go poop mm-hmm. that peristalsis, the squeezing of the intestines is happening and it is going to squeeze that poop out sometimes, you know, uncontrollably as we know about like explosive diarrhea, things like that, but it is going to come out or you can nudge and push it out. And then of course there are some people who are having constipation issues. They're having the strain and push very hard, which is not on the, within the realm of normal and that needs to be addressed. But in these physiological pooping situations, physiological birth, you can, your body will push the baby out depending on first births. I always say that there is a little bit more tricky because the path is being paved. Sometimes you're having to push very hard to get the baby out because maybe it's stuck. You're very tired, etc. I did experience that with my first, like he maybe would have come out on his own, but I was also very tired. Your uterus gets tired. And this is one of those areas where we need to be managing mom's food and water intake, because this is a marathon. Nobody runs a marathon and doesn't eat anything, right? Nobody does that. Okay. Nobody runs a marathon and doesn't take the breaks when they can or drink the water or whatever. And same thing in birth. And this is, this all goes back to a lack of birth education and the way that we know about how our body works and having her rest as much as possible in those early labor phases so that the exhaustion does not take place because it is more difficult to get a baby out. But with birth, we have the option. You can breathe the baby down nudge that with that sensation that you'll be feeling overpoweringly was I have to push this baby out or you can be active in it and push as well. Neither are wrong. Just listening with your body, I think is what's best. Sometimes it's the baby's coming so fast. You're almost, if anything, holding back had that experience <laughs> where you're just even an exhale, a full exhale felt like too much pressure. And with my second birth that she was just going to come right through me and tear me wide open. And I didn't tear, but I was panting. I had, mm-hmm. a, I couldn't even, so it's so interesting to feel how our bodies can do things differently, but that's, this is called the second stage of labor is like the pushing. Okay. So this is when baby's coming out and baby is making all kinds of turns. This is when those cardinal movements are really happening is during this navigation of 
out towards the pelvis. And this is once the cervix is already dilated to 10 yep. centimeters. It's up and out of the way. So I think that's, that was a misunderstanding I had is I thought that like, I didn't realize that you had to get to 10 centimeters and then it shifted into a more intense labor. I know. You know. We know that inherently maybe from movies that like they're checking something and something's happening but yes. before I understood about birth. I didn't realize that there were so many different stages. Stages. Yes. And some women really, yeah, the pushing is like so much more exhausting and intense. And some women really enjoy pushing because it feels like they're finally doing something. They're like, they're like involved when the process versus just being a passive because contractions are taking over me. Yeah. So it depends, but yes, you have to be 10 centimeters. The baby is coming down. And sometimes it's, it's a little fluid. It's like some sort of, sometimes these things are happening, like they're happening so quick, but they're, there is a bit of a pattern at dominoes. Like you do need to be 10, but the baby can be coming down and 10 is happening like this. It's like foam. And then it's like coming out. It could be more fluid, mm -hmm. but typically there is some more space in between these events of 10 babies deep in the pelvis, starting to navigate out. And as they're turning too, that in all of these stretch receptors on the inside of the vaginal canal are helping with this sensation of where we're getting that sensation that I have to take the biggest poop I've ever taken in my life. Mm -hmm. Also, because the way the baby is coming down is right next to the rectum. It does feel like you're pooping. It's mm -hmm. feel like you're going to poop. And this is a, a common thing. People will say they're, they're really in this active labor pattern. They're like, Oh my God, I have to poop. I have to poop. It's like, go get the midwife, the nurse, the doctor, whoever, because that you don't have to poop. Yeah, like your, you, your baby is coming out. Like you're feeling their head so low. They're about mm -hmm. to crown. So crowning is when you can see the top of the head coming through the introitus, which is like the front of the opening of the vagina. So baby is coming down, they're moving. Mom is pushing during the contractions. Sometimes the contractions, oh, this is interesting. Sometimes in a, it, this is completely normal and physiological. Although in a setting where the authority figures or the man, the providers are not privy to this idea, they can get freaked out mm. is that mom can reach 10 centimeters and take a break and mm. contractions stop. Sometimes 15 minutes, sometimes an hour. Wow. And it's this beautiful opportunity for her to rest yeah. and build up some strength so for the push. I know it's so smart. Some women don't experience this, but many do, or maybe the contractions just space out 15 minutes or something. And she's falling asleep between them. Then she's having this contraction. And sometimes the providers in the room can get a little freaked out. And they're like, wait, are we losing it? What's going on? We need mm -hmm. it. And then they're poking and prodding. And then it just makes it all not necessarily helping the process. Let's just wait and let her body do it because there is an inherent wisdom of our bodies that humans don't need to micromanage. And so is the physiological birth process something where the body will inherently develop the want to push? Because like in my mother's first birth, she shared with me that the doctor made her push way before she felt ready. And then she pushed for like hours and hours and hours to the point where she was about to die. Yep. Yep. And knowing what I know now, he made her push way too soon. And maybe that's another thing that causes this series of interventions in the hospital, but is it always that the, you wait until the body is saying, Oh, I think my body wants to push. Yep. Because you can be 10 centimeters and the baby's very high Gotcha. and you need to what's called labor down. And mm -hmm. that means that those contractions that she's still going to continue to have on this very quick loop. And at this point, it's probably every two or three minutes that she's having a one minute long contraction is going to push the baby down, push the baby down, push the baby down. There will be a point at which when the baby is like nearly crowning mm -hmm. that she is feeling that sensation. Mm -hmm. If you exhaust yourself, I did this with my first birth actually. It did. I had to, I not had to, but it was a, an element where I was pushing with no sensation of pushing mm. and it was tiring. Yeah. And it was like a unique situation. It was what I like needed to do in the moment, but that is a very 
silly misunderstanding of the fundamental physiological process of birth the providers need to get in some continuing education right now and never do again because there's no reason yeah it's so silly it's not like you can overpower your body and through your pushing you can just push the baby exactly out. like i couldn't just go on this toilet right now and just push, and just poop push out. as hard as i can yeah there's not one <laughs> or prime. maybe i could if there was like a there happened to be but it would really be like damaging totally to my pelvic Probably floor get hemorrhoids and yes exactly and you don't even point. want to do that and so this is where vaginal checks cervical checks can have a benefit is that they can see the station is what it's called the station of the baby and it's a number system of that tells us where the baby is because zero is the baby is engaged and then as it goes plus one plus two plus three is like baby's crowning starting to crown plus five is baby's out or whatever but so we can see where the station of the baby is if baby's like negative one but you're 10 centimeters she's not ready to push so don't make her push wait and so women with an epidural especially who don't who are maybe having less sensation they really need to be cognizant of this because mm-hmm. going to, she's not going to have as if she's not ready to push in general, she's not going to have the effective wherewithal brain connection to be able to even know how and when to do it. And it's going to be too early, way right. too early. So that's a really good point because people don't really acknowledge that. Yeah. Even so, I didn't know that even going into birth, I didn't realize mine ended up, my baby just never was coming down. She was, yeah. But I didn't even know that we had to wait yeah. for that to happen. Totally. Yep. Typically, I would say most of the time it's happening at the same time as the dilation. Those contractions are pushing on the cervix and they're pushing the baby down. So the baby is getting down lower, lower. That pressure of the head on the cervix is what's causing it to dilate. So it's all kind of happening at the same time, but it can happen and it happens all the time that baby's still pretty high up. If the waters haven't broken, baby's floating in this water balloon, but the cervix is still dilated. And it's like, the baby's still really high up. We got to wait. Yeah. Or maybe the water will be broken at that point, And then maybe can really start to come down. Or this is where we see. And I do think that this is a time and place of a breaking of the waters so mm-hmm. that we can get that process. Because again, we're always up against this like exhaustion of the mother that is really, we don't want, especially with first time moms. So anyway, so now we're pushing and baby's starting to crown. So it feels like you're pooping because it's happening in that same location. Also, as you are watching this process happen, the perineum, which is the space between the vaginal opening and the anus is where the bulge looks like it's coming from. And it is, it's stretching that space. And it, then it's, as the baby's kind of comes underneath the pelvic, their pubic bone, then they start to pop out of more of the vaginal opening, but you'll see this like bulging into the perineum. And the perineum is the skin between the vaginal opening and the anus. Yes. It's right in that space. And that's the most common space for, for a lot tears. of people. It's the taint. Yes. Just for people who don't. We'll just throw in some slang because we're cool. No slang. But we're cool. We're on TikTok. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. On TikTok. Actually, I'm not. I need to. I am though. But it's you good. are and you're doing it. No. <laughs> okay. So anyways, and then the baby's head will be seen. And you, as you're watching, like baby's head is rotating and moving. Mm. It's so cool. There's various ways the baby's heads can present. They can be OP or posterior, which is where they're facing up. Typically they're facing down. That's more ideal. That's the ideal physiological birth positioning because of the way the baby has to navigate. And it's typically less painful for the mom. Babies can come out with a hand on their face. That's called a nuchal hand. Babies can come out with the cord wrapped around their their neck, which is called the nuchal cord, which happens in 30 or 40% of births. It's very common. It is not, I hear that story a lot. Oh, the baby's cord is wrapped around the neck. So I'm so glad I was in the hospital. I'm like, 
I don't understand what you're saying. That is a very common presentation. That is not a concern. Mm -hmm. We, the cord is made out of Wharton's jelly is what it's called. And it's like the slipperiest thing you'll ever feel in your life. You can't, you literally cannot tie a knot in it and it will slip right. It's stretchy. There are some cord anomalies. This goes back to nutrition though. Mm -hmm. These cord anomalies didn't happen at the rate that they are now. And who knows the causes, the toxins, et cetera, in our environment, but a cord is made of this substance so that the idea of it getting pinched and actually cutting off blood flow to the baby is very rare. Although it does happen. It's tragic when it happens because there's really nothing you could have done about it or short cords that can be an issue. Whereas maybe when you're trying to pull a cord off of a baby's neck, it's harder because it's short or super long cords where babies get really tangled up. But these are not common because think about, we wouldn't be here if this was very common, these would be anomalies that are causing babies to babies and potentially mothers as well to be, to die during childbirth. So they wouldn't pass those potential genes on. Exactly. It's not, it doesn't select for life. And so these things wouldn't, yeah, exactly. And they're just rare in general, but anyway, so baby's heads coming out, maybe there's a, the presentation of some different things. And this isn't even talking about breach, which is completely variable, completely normal variation of birth that Dr. Stuart Fishbein is a, an OBGYN in LA who does home birth, which is so cool. And he teaches at a workshop called reteach breach, mm -hmm. which anybody can take. You don't have to be a birth worker no, breach professional. Breach is when baby comes feet first. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Breach is either you know butt so first much. or feet first. It's just not the head first, anything else, but the head, <laughs> but typically the butt and the feet. And the way that we've categorized that right now in our country is that you cannot do that in a hospital setting or at home. And no, there's a couple of states that midwives can do a breach at home. Like Arizona, I think is one of them, but that's an immediate C-section. They don't even try. And it's a lost art. And what Dr. Stu's trying to do, which is I'm so thankful for him is keep this art alive mm -hmm. is different. And there are nuances that midwives have known through all of the centuries of our lives that will best support a breech birth coming out really quickly is basically getting moms on hands and knees and not touching the baby. You don't touch the baby at all. You allow the traction of gravity to flop the little, if it's like a booty first and then the legs come out or if it's feet first, whatever it is. And then there's, she's pushing at the head, but you're not pulling on the baby because this is where you're getting all these issues with brachial plexus and the problems with breech birth. Anyways, but typically babies are coming down with their head first. That is the more favorable position that babies like to adopt in pregnancy anyways. And that all goes back to anatomical differences and the way that we can position ourselves in pregnancy to keep our baby's head down using things like chiropractic and movement and exercise and the way that we sit on the couch or we sit in a chair or that we don't sit in general. We're not squatting. We're not squatting down and like doing things in the dirt like we used to be doing. And all of these things are contributing to this like higher likelihood of a breach birth. We can talk about that later. But anyway, now baby is coming down. One shoulder is typically up to make it a little bit easier for them to slide. So the head is born. There's no need to touch the head in a typical birth. The head can be out for a couple of minutes. Baby is not and sometimes babies actually will take a breath. And in that case, maybe things are different, but typically babies have not breathed yet. And there is, you'll see amniotic fluid pouring from their mouth and their nose because they're getting this compression and squeeze. And that's beautiful as a process that's meant to be happening, squeezing it all out of their lungs. And they're gooey and they're purple looking and they all look squished as crazy <laughs> and they're rotating and moving and they're still getting their oxygen from the cord for a long time. Yeah. That was the one thing I saw a birth video when I was pregnant of a baby's head just hanging out for a long time. And I was like, Oh my God, is the baby dying? Right. You're like, it's getting everything still from the cord. And I was totally. like, oh my gosh. And if you watch animal births, sometimes they're like, especially with the hooved animals, mm -hmm. half of the cow, the calf is out for, it feels like 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. Like what is going on yeah. here? But it's, but baby has the cord when the oxygen is coming through the placenta. So then typically after that, like 
little more rotation. Now shoulders coming in and bloop, the rest of the body comes out pretty easily. And even then now baby's out and potentially not breathing still. And that's okay. There's minutes of oxygen left in the placenta and the core before the placenta begins the, where the problem can be that the placenta, as soon as baby's out, our bodies are so smart. The uterus immediately begins to clamp back down and slough off that placenta from the uterine wall. And when it does that, it loses our oxygenation that's coming from mom. So that's where we need to be like, okay, this baby needs to breathe its own air now because it's not getting mom's oxygen through that placenta because it has detached. When it was attached, it's getting all this good oxygen nutrients. Yeah. So our bodies immediately start to do that in our uteruses to prevent hemorrhage mm -hmm. when you're bleeding too much. Right. So it immediately, you're having contractions still. They're not at all the same kind of contractions. And typically moms come awake from this labor land state and when their babies come out and it's like, they were eyes rolled in the back of their head, vocalizing, moaning, breathing, like doing such hard work. They were just in the pits of it. And then the baby comes out and it all stops <laughs> and it's just euphoria. It's amazing. It gives me chills thinking about it. Mm -hmm. It's like just all the pain's gone. The baby's here. Whether the babies are crying or not, this is what I'm, I'll get back to, but it's like this physiological, just boom, all of a sudden just awake. Like wow. somebody had passed out from, and then used like ammonia salts mm -hmm. and their perks back up. It's really wild to see. It's so mm -hmm. cool. So then baby, baby can have some time. The reason why I say this is because it used to be the thought that, oh my gosh, if babies, they're rubbing, they're smacking the baby, they're holding upside down. They're like really freaked out. And then they'll cut the cord I know. and go take it off. I know. And they go and they take it off to this other area and do some resuscitation. You can resuscitate a baby on mom's belly. You take the baby att still attached to the cord, which is attached to the placenta, which is still inside of her, even though it has sloughed off the uterine wall, it is still inside and it hasn't been born yet. And you can't pull it out of mom. You could really interrupt things and cause a super bad hemorrhage. So you put the baby right up on mom's chest. If you need to be doing any kind of resuscitation, you can do it right there, then and there. That's the better place anyways. Yeah. We know the babies are inherently responsive to their mothers. Mm -hmm. Mom is talking to baby, but this is all like, that's outside of the normal of a phys physiological birth. But I'm just saying that like, even in those sorts of caveats that people get really freaked out, they're super scared about that kind of a thing happening that can be managed quickly and easily in a home mm -hmm. setting, at a home birth setting. Midwives bring all of the neonatal resusc resuscitation equipment to their home, to the home with you. And best chance of, for baby to be able to breathe in that setting is to be on mom anyways. And mom mm -hmm. talking to it and bringing it and calling it back in. Come on, baby. Let's go. Warmth let's go. of mom. I mean, we're not, we don't need to go put under a light. Like we are the warmth. Like we are the warmth and we everything. are like, and we need to have reverence for that magical connection between souls as well of, and we know this with twins and kangaroo care and all of that stuff, that if there's twins, keeping them in separate bassinets, they're not going to do as well. Their vitals are not as good as when we put them back together is there's importance there. It's so, beautiful. it's so beautiful. I know. And it's the same thing with the baby. Like the baby wants to be on the mom. That is her, his or her home. That is where they have been. And that's where they're going to have the best chance. So we can do all those things on the mom, but typically baby comes out and within a minute or so begins to cry and scream and get all this gunk out and everything starts to really pink up. What's amazing is that the baby's cardiovascular system, their entire in utero life has been through this umbilical cord with these veins and arteries and the way that their heart has been, their heart had this flap that was shunting the blood in such a way that was totally the way that it needs to be in pregnancy. The second the baby takes the first breath, <laughs> the flap slams shut, never to be opened again. And the blood is rerouted in a completely different way so wild it's so cool like my chills it's, so, it's cool. so cool and it's so beautiful and magical and there's so much going on and we just need to pause this is one mm -hmm. thing wabio talks about a lot 
Wapio is W-H-A-P-I-O. And she has wonderful podcasts and information out everywhere. If you're a birth nerd, I highly recommend looking into her stuff because she just talks about it with this energy that is so beautiful. But so she's, we need to have a pause and physiologically as well. We undisturb the mother. We don't mess with her. Many moms will just take a break. They don't immediately pick up the baby. They will take a few breaths Mm -hmm. and look around again. They're coming back from this space that they've been, their brainwave states, they're Mm -hmm. snapping out of it. And they're like, what? And there's this huge oxytocin rush that's happening in their body. And there's so much physiologically that's happening and they're coming back and they look at the baby and then they, and what Wapio calls it is that she claims her baby. Mm -hmm. Oh Oh my God, I'm going to cry. She claims her baby and she picks up the baby and is, this is my baby. He's so sweet. And there's, and that's, that's seen in our natural and not all women are like that. For me, I felt like it was more of a, I like was immediately pulling them up and touching them. And I wanted that. And that's totally within the realm of normal as well. But it's just to say that it's not wrong to have a pause. And then now you're, there's a new human and spirit in this world that in the room that was never there before, it's the coolest thing. And then the beautiful next step and system, the way our physiological bodies have been designed and adapted to is that the baby either is put on the breast by the mom or crawls to the breast. This is their one main instinct. They come out, they have instincts to do the cardinal movements. They have instincts to find the breast and nurse, because this is how they survive. If they don't do it, they don't survive. That nursing helps release the placenta. Exactly. So this is is something that people don't do when they take the baby away in the blanket. And then they're like, Oh my God, you're hemorrhaging. Thank God you're in the hospital and they saved your life. Oh my gosh. Thank you for saying that. Yes, exactly. And now you can still hemorrhage while you're nursing your baby. It doesn't not to say that everybody, whatever, but this is a system that is protective baby latches. Areolas get darker. They, the myobian glands. Is that what they're called? Why am I blanking on that now? I think they're called myobian glands secrete a substance, a pheromone almost that smells just like amniotic fluid throughout your pregnancy. These buds are developing on the areola and babies have very good smell, but very bad vision, which is why they're so dark. They can see in their own eyes and they smell this and they have the instincts to crawl and up the breast. They can crawl. They're not, newborns are not incapable. We think they are dealing with a lot of gravity on a head that they is very large for its size. And they haven't ever had the strength to be able to like have those neck muscles yet. So their heads are floppy, but they can crawl. They will get up to the breast. They will latch. Now, what did I say? Where were the oxytocin receptors mm-hmm. all over the nipple? It's baby latches, oxytocin, mm-hmm. oxytocin, uterus is cramping back down. Brain is releasing floods of oxytocin, partially to bond with baby, partially to cramp down the uterus and prevent any hemorrhage and slough mm-hmm. that placenta off and partially to eject the colostrum now into the baby's mouth, which mm-hmm. is the colostrum is the first couple of days of that milk. It's yeah. full of all of the amazing immunoglobulins and amazing things that babies need really. And it's so ideal for them to get. Mm -hmm. So this process is all happening and mom is now like bonding with her baby and she'll begin to really have cognizant awareness of these contractions that are happening now. And they're induced by this nursing and then boom, now she's starting to feel contraction and she's starting to feel pushy again a little bit. And it's the placenta being born. Mm -hmm. And now the placenta comes out. This is the, again, this is natural physiological birth. So Placenta comes out. The practitioner typically will take a look at it to ensure that it's complete, meaning that like a chunk of it wasn't accidentally left behind. And in which case we need to get that out because it can continue to cause hemorrhage until all of the placenta is out. And then some bleeding is normal with birth and it's a bloody poopy pee, vomity, mucusy event. It's very visceral, very 
tissuey and that's normal, but there is a certain point where, yeah, the hemorrhage is not normal and right. to stop it. And even when you're at home, you're in your car, there's ways to stop a hemorrhage, nipple stimulation, fundal pressure, which means like you're massaging deeply on top of the abdomen where the uterus was, et cetera. But now in a medical sense, and even at home, midwives may be giving a shot of Pitocin mm-hmm. or Methogen or these other medications. And remember Pitocin is synthetic oxytocin. Right, it's exactly. The thing around the nipples with the baby stimulating with nursing. So, exactly. So yeah. that's the- A lot of the medicine is just trying to mimic, mimic. natural exactly. stuff. And there's things we can do to just have the natural stuff. Exactly. And obviously the other things are there if we need them. If need be, totally. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. But yeah, that's a good distinction. The reason why postpartum- Pitocin is given is because of that strong oxytocin loop to then continue to clamp things down. Now the baby is born and we'll talk about a postpartum physiological process on a different time, but that is the, that is the hormonal cascade, the process of the way that a baby is born when uninterrupted and mom is able to be up and moving, which is a huge key piece of it. I love yeah. that. This is so great. So what do you want to leave them with? What little nugget? I want to leave everybody with the idea that we have to, in biohacking and op- health optimization stuff is trendy, but it's so true. It's like, use this information for your benefit. Yeah. We have to trick our brains. If you're an anxious person, if you're worried, if you know that your mental emotional state may be a, again, dystocia, something that stalls your birth, stops your birth. I knew that about myself. That is definitely me. I am so heady. I'm so up in my head all the time, constantly thinking about things. That was my biggest prep when I was mm-hmm. pregnant for my first birth was getting my mind out of the way through meditation. I did the hypnobirthing class. I thought that was really great. Not that I was hypnotized at all during yeah. birth. That is not what happens. You're and not it's, trying it's not to... like an avoidance of pain. I yes. think a lot of people either misinterpret hypnobirthing or they think you're going to be like, yeah. Or that, like you're trying to avoid pain. No. Yeah. You're it's working with it. How to get into a mindset. Exactly. The mindset thing was huge. So biohack your birth, meaning like where the, the, oh my can't remember what they're called. The things on your oh. eyes. What are they called? <laughs> I, like, eye, mask. eye mask. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Goodness. Okay. Wear an eye mask, put headphones in that is calming music that you like, or blocking out all the sounds. So you're not distracted by the things around you mm-hmm. tell people to leave you alone. Or if you need that support and you want to be touched and helps through the contractions and have that, but have somebody who's maybe interfacing with the provider so that they're not talking to you and pulling you out into your human prefrontal cortex. When you need to be back in that monkey or not monkey, but lizard brain and really mm-hmm. staying in that lizard brain, do whatever you can do support oxytocin loops. That's a smell you like, something you like to look at, beautiful dim lights, little twinkly lights, a salt lamp. I think salt lamps are like the best thing. And you use those with nursing in the middle of the night and you can just, yeah, you just use the little dimmer, just turn Mm -hmm. it on just enough so you can nurse your baby and you go back to sleep and you're not too awake. You don't have a bright phone in your face. Don't do that. But keep yourself out of thinking about it. Don't time your contractions. Have somebody else time your contractions Mm -hmm. if you even want to do that. But you just follow along with your body. Get into this like very connected earth-based kind of woo-woo-y cool cosmic whatever you want to call it godlike state of being in a different brainwave state it's like you're not here anymore you're in a different place and allow that to be supported and know yourself prepare and take care of these things beforehand so that you can be in this best position to help maintain that. If you are transferring to a hospital for your birth, then that's the plan or or hospital transfer, whatever, continue to support those pathways, continue to wear the eye mask in the car, listen to nothing in the car, or listen to your music 
keep yourself as if, you know how, like when you're about to fall asleep and sometimes when you like notice that you're about to fall asleep, you wake yourself back up. Mm -hmm. You got to just kind of let yourself fall and stay and surrender and accept and have deep inherent trust that all the women before you have done this, Mm -hmm. we would not be here without it and that you can do it. And if you have any fears or triggers or something, you're dealing with that in pregnancy. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Healthy as a Mother podcast. In order for other women to hear this information, please leave a review with Apple Podcasts, subscribe, and send to a friend who could benefit from this content. We're so excited to share more on becoming and being a mother next time. And remember, a healthier future starts now, and it starts with you.